You know, one of the objections that people have to the Christian faith is that they say it's outdated. You hear people say things like, well, Christianity has had its time. We live in a post-Christian world. Christianity is an ancient religion. Or something like science has replaced Christianity. Christianity just isn't relevant to modern people anymore. We've all heard things like that, things along those lines. And, you know, a lot of churches, a lot of church leaders respond to these criticisms by acquiescing. They give in. They, they don't preach the biblical doctrines because these doctrines seem to be so old and ancient. These doctrines are unpalatable to the shifting sands of society. But, you know, we're, we're not like that here at this church. The reason that we're going to stand our ground and preach the ancient doctrines is, is not just because the doctrines are ancient. They're more than that. The doctrines of Scripture are timeless. And so they go beyond any type of society. They go beyond any type of age or era. They speak to any person in any time. In fact, the most foundational belief of our faith the one teaching that is to our detractors the most offensive and foolish doctrine of them all is the cross of Christ. And Christianity's critics say that the idea of the cross, that there's a, a vengeful God who would not forgive people except by killing his own son, they say that idea is outdated. That idea is a, just an outdated belief and it needs to be swept away into the dustbin of antiquity. But you know, Jesus himself would disagree with that criticism. We know this because on the night that Jesus died, knowing that death was awaiting him the next day, Jesus indicated that his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave would usher in something brand new, something new and eternal to any age, and it would be the kingdom of God. And if that is true, and we believe that it is, that the cross and resurrection of Christ is the starting point for people like you and me today to experience God's kingdom and all of its benefits, then certainly the idea of the cross is not just some ancient teaching that needs to be swept away into the dustbin of antiquity, but rather it is an ancient teaching with eternal effects. Now, last week, we read from Matthew's gospel how Jesus uh, said that the cross that he was about to die on initiated a new covenant between God and humanity. And this new covenant was unlike the old. In one outstanding respect, the new covenant brought forgiveness of sins. And today we're going to read the same brief story, but we're going to turn to Mark's gospel. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. And you might wonder, well, why are we going to read the same story if you preached that last week? Well, it could be that uh, none of you got it, and so I'm going to preach it again. Um, or maybe what we'll do today is we'll focus on the very next thing Jesus said. And I think that's the way it'll end up today. And so in Mark chapter 14... Verse 22, 
we read this, and as they were eating, this is the, the institution of the Lord's Supper. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. He gave it to them, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Then, verse 23, he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And then in verse 25, this is what we'll focus on. Jesus said, truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Jesus said he wasn't going to drink anything from the fruit of the vine until he drank it new in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is one of Jesus' favorite topics. When Jesus began his ministry, Mark tells us in chapter 1, that he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he used different parables to describe the kingdom of God. Jesus compared the kingdom of God to seed being scattered on the ground. He compared the kingdom of God to just a little bit of leaven that made its way into 50 pounds of flour and spread throughout. He compared the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, very small mustard seed, that would eventually grow into a huge plant. Jesus said other things about the kingdom of God. He said that the kingdom of God must be received like a little child. He said that it was incredibly difficult for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said that it is better to have your eyes gouged out than to miss the kingdom of God. In fact, he said that those who do miss the kingdom of God would weep and gnash their teeth. What is this thing we call the kingdom of God. I mean, is the kingdom of God something that's just way off in the future and we just have to sort of wait and figure out whether we made it or not? Is it something we can't really be sure about? Or is the kingdom of God something that we can have and experience right now? What exactly is it? Well, in the simplest terms possible, the kingdom of God simply means God's reign, God's rule. It might be God's rule over an individual, or God's rule over a family, or over a church, over a community, over a, an entire nation. It might mean God's rule over the entire world. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, and when Jesus said the kingdom of God is near, we need to distinguish something. We all know that God is king. He always has been. He always will be. Okay, that's not in question. That's not the issue here. The issue here, when Jesus talks about the coming of the kingdom of God, is this. Do you and I recognize the kingdom of God? Do we submit to God as king? Do we believe that he is king? Do we live as if he is king over us? As if he is Lord over our lives? And so I want to go back today 
and give you just a, a brief biblical history of what was going on with the kingdom of God. You see, when God created the world, he placed humans in a place called the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were in God's perfect presence. There was absolutely nothing separating Adam and Eve from God. They could walk with the Lord in the garden, and it said that they did. They had perfect fellowship with God. Adam and Eve were, were living under the perfect rule of God. The kingdom of God, we might say, operated perfectly for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And you see on the screen an image that indicates the perfect rule of God because there's a solid line over the Garden of Eden. That means that God's kingdom operates uninterrupted from a human experiential point of view with that solid unbroken line. Now, in the Garden, God made humans in His image. We know that from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. He made humans in His image. And being made in His image includes the idea of having free will. What's free will mean? Simply means we're free to do as we please. Just as God, as a free being, is free to do as He pleases. And so we are free to do anything that is within our power and ability to do. We even have the freedom, God gave us the freedom, to reject Him as King. He gave us the freedom to go our own way. We have the freedom to think and say and do things that are displeasing to Him. And of course, we know that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They sinned in the Garden of Eden, and theologians call this the fall. When Adam sinned, what it did, it disrupted humanity's experience of the perfect reign of God over the earth. To be sure, God was still king. God always has been king. He always will be king. And there's nothing that Adam and Eve or you or me can do that will never, ever knock God off his throne. There's nothing that we could ever do. None of our actions will ever change or diminish God in the very least. However, with the fall of humanity, there would now exist human creatures made in God's image that did not recognize the kingdom of God, did not recognize or submit to God as king. And the image on the screen represents this new reality of humans not recognizing God as king by the dotted line above the Old Testament period, above humanity's experience. But I want you to notice something else is on the screen. There's another image there down at the bottom. A new age had begun with the fall. An age of sickness, an age of sin, an age of death. The fall of humanity ushered in something that the Bible calls this age. Genesis 3 puts it this way. So the Lord God 
sent Adam away from the Garden of Eden. No longer was Adam in the perfect presence of God, but God sent him away. Romans says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. There's a new reality. Adam, I don't know if he called it the new normal or not. Probably not. But there was a new normal, and it wasn't good. This age is an age of sin. It is an age of sickness. It is an age of death. This is the age that we inherited from Adam. Now, from time to time in the Old Testament era, God would do something interesting. God would intervene in ways that would preview an age to come. In other words, God would occasionally, in the Old Testament era, break into history to show that there was coming a day when His redemptive purposes would be fulfilled. For example, in that Old Testament era, God called a certain people, Israel, to be holy, to be set apart, to be His special possession. This was a sign of something that would happen later. Because later, the people of God would be expanded to include Gentiles in the age to come. In the Old Testament era, God made a covenant with Israel, with Moses and all of Israel. And he indicated that one day in the age to come, there would be a new covenant that would be even better, for it would include forgiveness. In the Old Testament era, God brought salvation in Jonah's day to a city, a Gentile city called Nineveh. And that served as a sign that one day God will bring Gentiles in mass to him in the age to come. In the Old Testament era, during Elijah's time, Elijah prayed for the son of a widow to be raised from the dead, and God answered his prayer. And this was a sign that there would come, in the age to come, another prophet, greater than Elijah, who would also raise the dead. In the Old Testament era, in Elisha's day, Elisha healed a man, a Gentile man named Naaman of leprosy. It was simply a preview of another healer that would come in the age to come who would bring healing to lepers. These are just a few of the many examples of how God interjected himself into human history in the Old Testament era to preview a new age, to preview things to come. Every intervention of God in the Old Testament era was a partial intervention of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God did not come in that time, not in fullness, but it would come later. You'll also notice, of course, as we've mentioned, that this age, this age of sin and sickness and death, continued all throughout that era. But finally, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son into the world. When Jesus came, 
He brought the kingdom of God with him. This was not a partial intervention like in the Old Testament, but this was, with Jesus, the fullness of the kingdom of God. And this fullness is indicated by the long arrow going all the way down into human experience. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, recognized the kingdom of God in Jesus. For John the Baptist said, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. He knew this was the new age. Jesus recognized the kingdom of God in himself. For at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus went into his hometown, and he went into the synagogue of his hometown, and he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. And he opened up the scroll, and these were the words that Jesus read from the ancient scroll of Isaiah, who wrote this hundreds of years before. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All of these things were things that belonged to the age to come in Isaiah's day. But Jesus said, He sent me to do these things. And then we read that Jesus rolled up the scroll, He handed the scroll to the attendant, and He sat down. And everyone was just looking at Jesus. No one was saying a word. And finally, Jesus proclaimed these words. Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus recognized that he was bringing the kingdom of God. Later, when John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus to see if Jesus was really the one who was to come and usher in this new age, Jesus replied to John's disciples, Go and report to John what you have heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. It's very clear. When Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of God into this world. And someone might wonder or say, Hey, you know, I thought... I thought the kingdom of God was, you know, way off in the future. I thought the kingdom of God belonged to the, the last days. And I would say that you're right. The kingdom of God does belong to the last days. But what you may not understand is, we've been living in the last days since Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached a message right after the Spirit came. Peter preached a message, and part of what Peter said was this. And he was quoting an ancient prophecy. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter said, And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. That had just happened. We've been living in the last days for almost 2,000 years. Now you'll notice on the image at the bottom, there's a problem. The problem is, that even though the last days have already begun, the kingdom of God is here with Jesus. The age to come has come. 
you'll notice at the bottom of that image that this age still continues to the present day. You see, we live in this time called the New Testament period, and we still deal with the effects of sin and sickness and death, don't we? Why is that? How could that be? Well, it's simply because there are two kingdoms at work in our lives. There's two kingdoms at work in this world, in this spiritual sphere. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And these two kingdoms are engaged in a spiritual battle for the souls of humanity. And God expects us to be engaged in that battle as well. As Christians, we should engage daily in the battle between these two kingdoms. These two kingdoms overlapping, if you will, is why sometimes you can be filled with the Spirit and other times you, same person, give in to temptation. These two kingdoms overlapping is why sometimes God performs miracles that cannot be explained and other times No miracle comes. These two kingdoms overlapping. It's why God sometimes brings full healing and restoration, wholeness of body and mind. And other times we suffer and even die. You see, Christian, you live in this age. This age of sin and sickness and death, but Christian, you need to realize that you also live in the kingdom of God. Because you live in the kingdom of God, because you dwell spiritually in God's kingdom, you have tasted of the age to come. You have tasted things that belong to the age to come, like salvation. Salvation belongs to the age to come. Forgiveness belongs to the age to come. Righteousness belongs to the age to come. And yet, with Jesus, he brought it right into this present age. And we experience it. We taste it. You can experience fullness and wholeness and healing. All of which belong, ultimately, to the age to come. But there are times when God does these things for us. Aren't there? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul is talking about the devil when he uses this term. And he says, the God of this age, God with a little g, the God of what? Of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age is at work right now. But what has Jesus done? In Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, we read, The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from what? From this present evil age. And that is why Jesus said in Mark chapter 14, verse 25, that the next time, He drank of the fruit of the vine. It would be in the kingdom of God. Why? Because the very next day, 
Jesus would usher in that kingdom when he died on the cross. Jesus knew that through the cross, God's kingdom would be available to anyone who would receive it by believing. And then Jesus initiated the coming of the kingdom of God into this present age by doing something else that only belongs to the age to come. He was resurrected from the dead. Resurrection does not belong to this age. Resurrection is an action that only happens in the age to come. I mean, you don't see people who've been dead for three days who rise from the grave, do you? We don't see it. The last time or the next time you go to the funeral home, I'm pretty sure you're not going to see that body rise up out of the casket. It just doesn't happen in this age. But Jesus did it. He brought that glorious future event, the resurrection, and he brought it into this age. And he was resurrected from the dead. Ephesians 1 says that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So in light of this, how should we then live? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to what? This age. Do not be conformed to this age. But what else does it say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind The Old Testament prophets would tell you that's something that belongs to the age to come. But Paul knew the age to come has arrived. And we can experience the renewing of our minds. We can experience a transformation of our minds. So don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In Titus chapter 2, Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. Check this out. It continues. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? Right now, in this evil world, in this age, we should be sensible, we should be righteous, we should be godly, and we're waiting for Jesus to return. Now, when Jesus first came to earth, we know that he brought with him the kingdom of God. God's kingdom came down to earth, quite literally in him, yet only believers experienced it. Only believers submitted to God as king. But when Jesus comes back, 
when he returns at the second coming, he will bring God's rule to everyone, believer and unbeliever alike. All will submit to him. Because we read in Revelation 19, which describes his return. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen, and a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he had a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of of lords when jesus returns it will mark the beginning of the end of this age of sin sickness and death when he returns believers who have died will be resurrected this is called the first resurrection jesus will begin his reign on earth as king the bible calls his reign on earth the millennium and in this millennial kingdom Believers will have glorified bodies. They will reign in positions of authority. Satan will be bound and cast into the abyss for a thousand years so that he would not deceive the nations. But you know something else that will be in that millennial kingdom, apparently? Apparently, there will be unbelievers as well in that millennial kingdom. How do we know? Because at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be unchained. He'll be released from the abyss, and he will lead the unbelieving nations in one final rebellion against Christ. At the bottom of the image on the screen, that dotted line that extends past this age indicates that the remnants of sin and sickness and death extend into the millennial kingdom through the unbelievers that are present in it. And Satan, at the end of that millennial kingdom, will gather together the unbelieving nations in one final rebellion against Christ. And Revelation tells us that fire will come from heaven and will consume the armies of those nations. And then the devil himself will be cast into the lake of fire, where he, the Antichrist, and the false prophet will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then... There will be a second resurrection. The second resurrection will be a resurrection of the rest of the dead. Each person will be judged according to their works. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, they will be thrown into the lake of fire where Satan, death, and Hades are. At that point, this age will be no more. Even the remnants of this age will be gone. And God at that point will reveal to us a brand new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 describes it. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything. New. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Listen, everything that we as believers experience belongs to the age to come. Salvation belongs to the age to come. Forgiveness, righteousness, the Spirit of God, wholeness of body and mind, resurrection, reigning with Christ, a new heaven and a new earth, all of it belongs to the age to come. But some of these things we experience now, and some of them we eagerly await. Jesus Christ, our Lord, has taken the future kingdom of God, that age to come, and he has brought it into our midst today. It is the cross of Christ that made the kingdom of God possible for sinners. It is the resurrection of Christ that was the first fruits of the kingdom. And it was the coming of the Spirit that began its fulfillment in our lives. God requires one thing of you today. Believe. That's it. Just believe. Have faith in God's plan. Believe that God is king and that he sent his son to establish his reign on the earth. Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. If today you are ready to say yes to God, I believe, then this invitation will be for you. What we're going to do is, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response. And during that song, if today you want to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to come to the front and let's talk about that. I'll be standing at the front.
And your coming will be an indication to all of, the, all of those present who care very much for you, will be very excited to see you and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be an indication that you are ready to believe. Would you do that today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this very day, we ask you to bring salvation to the lost. You've done it before in so many of our lives. We ask that you do it again. To anyone hearing this message who is not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, give him her courage. Grant them faith, Father. Help them turn away from their sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.